I have lots of uncles, I have lots of aunties. When I checked with them years later why they did not take us in, it's because there was no one to tell them that it was possible. There was no community services that could have been targeted at strengthening the family and just convincing them that it is possible to still take care of these children. So yes, I had relatives, but they just did not know how. Welcome to the MindShift podcast. I'm Krish Kandaya. Around the world, there are around 5.4 million children in orphanages. Each year, millions of pounds and dollars are sent to support orphanages and thousands of people volunteer or visit them. The best evidence shows that orphanages are not good for children and there are far better ways for vulnerable children to be cared for. A mind shift is needed and that's why this podcast exists. Peter Matui is a care experienced young person from Kenya, Africa. Peter lost his mother when he was six weeks old and his father a year later. He had five siblings. And the reason that Peter went into an orphanage was no one told his extended family that it was possible to adopt him and his siblings. So we are in Chiang Mai, Thailand. There are leaders from around the world gathering to think about care reform on behalf of the world's most vulnerable children. And I'm really excited to be sat with Peter Mathui from Kenya. Peter, tell me some of your earliest recollections of your childhood. What was that like? My earliest recollections of childhood, really, it was a hard start for me and my siblings because we lost our parents when I was pretty young. I was only six weeks when I lost my mother and uh, my dad died a year later. And so... I do not have lots of recollections about the life after my parents' passing. But then I remember very clearly when I was at an orphanage, as well as initially because we were separated. Six of us, two were taken to a reformatory for boys. My two elder sisters were taken to a reformatory for girls. And Joyce and I, who were the youngest, ended up in a home for the physically challenged children. And so that is where we were at for the first two years of life after losing our parents. And so their memories are difficult. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was more looking at these children around me that uh, are on wheelchairs and uh, are needing attention and I was just there questioning, why am I here? But uh, we were reunited at uh, one orphanage in Nairobi two years later. And so that opens up another chapter of new memories. Wow. The statistics tell us that most of the children living in orphanages around the world have living parents. You were what some people might describe a double orphan. You lost both your parents. But I always remember this proverb that comes, I think, from the whole of Africa, but maybe from Kenya especially, this idea it takes a whole village to raise a child. So if you lose your birth parents, there is an extended family. Why did you not go and live with them? True, there is an extended family. I have lots of uncles, I have lots of aunties. But then when I checked with them years later why they did not take us in, it's because there was no one to tell them that it was possible. There was no community services that could have been targeted at strengthening the family and, and just convincing them that it is possible to still take care of these children. And so, yes, in Africa we say it takes a village to raise a child, and that is where we are doing a lot of advocacy work to get people back to that thinking and that lifestyle of a child does not belong to an individual, but it belongs to the community really, and that we need to get back to that old system and style of caring for children. So yes, I had relatives, but they just 
did not know how. Wow. So it seems like there was a time when it would have been the most normal and natural thing in the world that if your parents were to die, wider family would have stepped into care. And then maybe through the intervention of institutions and orphanages, that valuable part of the culture seems to have been forgotten or lost. And now you're saying there's a need to kind of refine that again. Is that right? Sure, sure, sure. There's need to refine it because the proliferation of orphanages has sort of given this message to the society and community that, oh, there's a simpler, easier way. Oh, children can be educated. Children can get sponsorships. But then they're forgetting that childcare and upbringing of children is not all about food and education and clothing, that we need the software taken care of because a lot of orphanages focus on the hardware. So what about the emotional attachments, the connections with, you know, in relationships, consistent caring adults around the child? Those are really the building blocks for children, yeah. I find it really difficult. There's a kind of dissonance in my experience of this sector. In the, in the West, people are very mindful of the software, that if it came to the care of their own children, there is no way the average British family, if both parents were to die, that these children would end up in an orphanage. People make provision in their will that aunties and uncles or grandparents would raise children. But when it comes to the rest of the world, the West doesn't make that connection. As someone who's experienced it from the other side, how does that make you feel that so much money is coming from the West? Yes, in a kind of well-meaning way, but in ways that actually might be deconstructing some of the local software that would have allowed someone like you to grow up with your aunties and uncles. It is quite an unfortunate thing, and considering the amount of money that is coming from the West to fuel the orphanages, operations, and their continued work with and for children... But then I always like looking at it from an outcomes perspective. What are the outcomes of this kind of care for Mm. children? And when I think about my own brother's suicide after leaving care, when I think about the dysfunctions in my elder sister's marriages and family situations, when I think about children that were very bright academically, but that did not really work for them. And so I look at it from a perspective of we need to look at it from an outcomes lens and see what are these orphanages churning out. And the reality on the ground is that it's unfortunate that misfits, societal misfits are what is coming out from this orphanage. There are very few children that actually make it to tell the story. And so my challenge is really to the West, just as you focus on the software, on your families and on your children, could you consider that as well? Because the emotions, the connections, the love and the belonging, those are the things really that count for children. Peter, you shared some very powerful and tragic outcomes for some of your siblings. Why do you think your story proceeded differently? Krish, my story took a different trajectory because there was a caring adult that cared to listen to what I needed. And I had just finished my high school and I had gotten instructions from the social workers not to go back to the orphanage but to keep away and stay at my uncle's place. But for some funny reason, I ended up back at the orphanage because I was taking back school books that I thought would be needed by another child in the coming year. But then this adult that spoke to me asked me questions and asked me what I needed. And that was a very rare, rare opportunity that someone for once wants to hear my perspective, what my needs are. And truth be told, it changed the entire life course for me because she told me, don't go back to your uncle's. I'll get you a place you can go work for a pay. 
And that was to me such a great opportunity because I learned little things like budgeting skills. I learned how to engage with customers, how to serve. Mm. And from that time on, it's been no stopping. That's a very powerful mind shift, actually, in that a lot of the times donors and visitors and supporters of orphanages are thinking they're doing good to children, but without actually asking the children what they want. Mm. Is it too much to think that most children in orphanages actually would like an ongoing family rather than living in an institution? Uh, Definitely most children in orphanages would like an ongoing family. They would like to identify with a consistent, caring adult that checks on them, that asks them how they're doing, that connects them with mentors for life. And that is a desire for each and every child. I had that desire when I was growing up, Mm. you know, and that person who came to teach us music and uh, was only there once a week, but the fact that she gave two hours of her time to be with us and taught us the word of God, those were really special moments for me and I wish that they were prolonged because we were 30 of us to two carers who worked in shifts so it meant there wasn't any attention we would get even when we were going through difficulties and so the desire and the cry for every child in an orphanage is to have a place where they belong, Mm. a place where they are called by their name, a place where they have love and they can also speak Mm. Yeah, and, and so we need to give children their voices back. So help me, so I say this to some orphanage leaders, some people that run children's villages, and they say, oh Chris, it's all very well that you want children to find families, but this is just impossible in Africa. It's naive to think that this is doable. There are too many children, the systems are too broken. You know, it's better that children live in an orphanage than they're on the streets. And what's your response to people that say that? The people who say it cannot be done need not stop those who say it can be done for a start. But then they need to, first and foremost, talk to these children. Talk to them to hear what their needs are because children know what they need and then look at ways in which you can meet those needs for the children. And so I choose to look at it from a very positive, hopeful lens and say there's surely a future hope for these children and their hope and expectations will not be cut off, as scripture very well puts it. Mm. And for those that are the naysayers, they are mm. doubting, thinking it can be done. It is a zone that is a very comfort zone for them. And they need to actually be challenged to exit from that zone because um, there is huge potential for this to work. Yes. So it's a mindset shift or change. Mm. And they need to just change their paradigms. We need to look at it from a systemic lens as well, where we bring people together from leaders in churches to the orphanage directors and managers themselves to the leaders in communities and governments have this conversation jointly to see how can we collaborate to make it work yeah. for the children. I've been trying to think about how we can bring that mindset shift in those that are currently running orphanages. Mm -hmm. And in one level, there's so many barriers because many people have given their life to help orphanages and to hear that their life's work might not actually have led to the best outcomes for children is very hard. And so then we almost build up a confirmation bias that I can't hear the criticism. Mm. So I've tried to speak to some of the directors and got so far. I wonder whether the education might need to come from the donors instead. I've seen donors have a mindset shift. So, for example, in the UK, we often host many choirs that have come from orphanages. Mm -hmm. And they'll have maybe six months touring, maybe five or six different events a week. I heard of one choir where the youngest child was six years old, away from consistent caregiving for six months, every night in a different host family. Every night, the choir would sing and it would be beautiful, but they would also tell stories of their childhood and why they're not living with their families because of bereavement which seems to be reliving trauma, 
For many people looking at that, they just see child exploitation. And once they see child exploitation, they don't want to welcome a choir and they definitely don't want to be supporting an orphanage that's sending people. So what do you think in terms of that mindset shift? Are we more likely to see it from the donor perspective rather than those that are currently running the orphanages? Or have you had different experiences? Uh, Without a doubt, the donors have quite a significant role to play in uh, convincing the orphanages they support to actually change the way they do things and change the way they care for children. And a lot of orphanages will listen because if at all the money that you use to run the orphanage, there's threat that it may actually be cut off if you continue doing things a particular way. Many of them actually have to listen. But at the same time, I want to emphasize that engaging these same orphanage directors is very critical in a way that is not necessarily demonizing mm-hmm. or condescending. And from our experience, really, as child and family focus, we have two orphanages that we are helping mm-hmm. with the transition. Mm-hmm. I find that coming to a place where you affirm them for the work that they're doing, you have to also be understanding that this is the best way they knew how to. But then there's a different way to. Mm-hmm. And so when you come with an approach of being a friend, wanting to journey alongside them, wanting to be the listening, the caring partner mm-hmm. in seeing this dream realized, we feel that they are more receptive to it. Otherwise, uh, yes, donors have a role to play, but at the same time, we who are championing family-based care for children need to change our attitude in the way we approach them. That's very gracious. As someone who's been on the receiving end of maybe not a great way Way of caring for children that you still are generous in those that are in a well-meaning way continuing on in that way and I think you're right that is more effective for me the best case scenario is not just that money gets turned off mm-hmm. but the money gets redirected towards family-based care and if possible as you're seeing maybe in your work that orphanages are converted into family reconciliation or reunification yeah, centers yeah. So almost, you know, in the Bible it talks about how swords are turned into plowshares. Maybe orphanages can be repurposed into reunification places. Oh, definitely. There is a role for these same orphanages and their directors and the staff therein in the continuum of care for children. And many of them feel threatened that their sources of livelihoods will be cut off. Many of them have very well-meaning concerns for the children that they are taking care of presently. And right now my biggest pain and concern really is about the children already in the system. Yes, we have the gatekeeping conversation of preventing those that are at risk of coming in, but what about the ones who are already in the system? Who is talking on their behalf? And you find that a lot of these orphanage directors would be more concerned about the ones they have under their care. Mm. In my own upbringing and story, you find that we had relatives. We only saw them thrice a year. Bottom line is there was no relationship. Mm. The fact that we were taken from their care when we were pretty young meant that there was a bond that was cut off. Mm. And so it takes time to build that bond back. Mm. So even for the children themselves, ending up being accepted in those families is not the easiest of things. And so we have to think about it broadly and also convince these directors that there is a role even when the orphanages have been repurposed or been turned into something else that reaches more children in the communities because a lot of them are limited to just a particular number of children. But if you take your services to the community, you're able to actually get more children sponsored through school. You're able to get many more numbers into health insurance arrangements and it is amazing to see that actually with the same amount of money that they're using, they can do so much more. So it's more about convincing 
protecting them and just bringing them close and giving them their seat at the table to also tell you what their fears are and help dispel them. That's so helpful and for people to hear that there is another way because a lot of people say well you know orphanages are just the best we can do in Africa and again we don't have high enough aspirations it's like a two-level care system there's how we care for kids in the west and we have good ambitions for them but everywhere else we're willing to settle for way less than we're willing to settle for for our children in the west and that, that's not appropriate. In terms of the mindset shift that you've seen happen what are some of the biggest challenges so when you're talking to western donors or pastors what are some of the biggest challenges you've seen in changing people's minds on care reform? Some of the challenges of changing the mindsets is more when the leadership for instance is not right. The leadership either in the respective countries where these conversations are happening and just like John C. Maxwell says it rises and falls with leadership and so it means the government has to lead right. The policies have to be enabling for children to be raised in families and prevention from separation to actually happen. And so it means there's a lot of work in just putting together the right pieces of legislation and policies, as well as also the leadership. But also another problem I have seen is when there's no adequate demonstrations of this other way. Many orphanages will tell you, you tell us foster care, show us a foster care model that actually works. And so it is very important to ensure that we have pilots that demonstrate that this actually does work. Mm. And so in the country where I come from right now, there's already that process ongoing. So that we are not just telling them to transition or to transform when we are not telling them how and what the alternatives really are. But other than that also, just the general attitude and many of them are very, very hesitant because of the whole demonization that has gone around. Mm -hmm. And it is not just nationally, but you find that it is from all over the world, really. And they feel very unappreciated. They feel very condemned. They feel like people are saying, you have wasted resources and you have damaged children. Mm -hmm. But then also we have to just go the Philippian 4-8 way. Whatever is beautiful, whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy, Mm -hmm. think of these things as well. What are the good things that you can actually go speak to them about so that you can win their hearts to these processes? That's so helpful. I think some of the language used in care reform, for example, I've heard people say all orphanages are a form of child abuse, all orphanages are money-making, tourist traps trying to exploit children, using orphanages like zoos. I think that puts the defences up for people that might otherwise change. Yes. And so I like your quoting of scripture that we find good that we can affirm, that there are good intentions, there were good desires. Yes, an orphanage is better than a child living on the street, but that isn't the only choice. So, you know, well done for what you have done, but there's another way forward. And I think you're right, if we can provide models mm. rather than just rhetoric, I think that's mm. going to be a change. Mm. Help us, though, for many people, this is such a huge task. There's such a lot that needs to be done. It's not just of education of donors. It's not just repurposing of orphanages. It's capacity building. It's engagement with civic society. It's culture shift. What is encouraging you? What keeps you going in this work when things are hard? What gives you comfort and encouragement? I find a lot of comfort and encouragement from God's word. Mm. The promises are true. When scripture says that there is surely a future hope, I take that to heart and I know hope exists for me and even for that child in the system today and for that child at risk. And so God's word has played a huge role in encouraging me and comforting me, but at the same time just looking at the church's response to the issues of orphan and vulnerable children and seeing how organizations or coalitions like the World Without Orphans and what they are doing and the impact in other countries and just believing and seeing that that can be a reality for my own country. That to me is very comforting and uplifting and without a doubt 
note, it inspires me to actually continue giving all I can to this work. You've been so helpful, Peter. Is there anything burning that you wish you had said that we haven't had a chance to talk about? Something burning really is just to reiterate what I said earlier, that it is God's desire that children are raised in families because he sets the lonely in families and it is an achievable goal. And just to challenge and encourage and tell people out there, support this work of channeling resources and focus and efforts towards family-based care for children because it has huge rewards for the children. The outcomes that I've seen in my own family would be avoided for hundreds of thousands if we were able to choose to change the way we care for children. People who say it cannot be done need not stop those who say it can. Those words from Peter have been a lifeline to me as I've met so many people who tell me it's impossible that we cannot change the systems around the world to make sure that children flourish in families. Peter is an inspirational figure and he challenges us all, no matter what our circumstances in life, to pursue the best, to make sure that children have families to flourish in. That's why we started the Homecoming Project and we'd love for you to join our homecoming journey. Visit homecomingproject.org to see how you can be part of the solution to the global challenge of orphanages. We'll look forward to speaking with you next time on the next edition of the Mindshift podcast.